Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In January of 2014, Lacey Spears took her five-year-old son, Garnet, into the hospital claiming that he had had multiple seizures. The doctors there admitted him and hooked him up to an EEG, which would monitor his brain activity to determine if he was having a full seizure or not. After days of observation, the boy never had an episode, so he was scheduled to be discharged the following day. Suddenly, Garnet became lethargic and began dry heaving. When the staff ran blood tests, everything came back normal. The boy's sodium level was on the higher end, but still in the normal range. Over the next few hours, Garnet started to get better and the staff still planned on discharging him. Then it happened again, but this time Garnet had what looked like a full-blown seizure. He stopped breathing and had to be intubated. When they tested his blood again, his sodium levels had shot up from 144 to a deadly 182. Not only something that could kill him, but something that was not medically possible to happen naturally. Somebody had intentionally poisoned the five-year-old. This is Monsters. Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a condition where a person creates the appearance of health issues in another person. The proxy in the name represents the person that's being used as the sick person. This separates the condition from Munchausen syndrome, which is where a person makes up medical conditions for themselves. It's most common with a parent creating false medical issues with a child. It generally happens when the person lies about the proxy's condition, but in extreme cases, the person can actually cause the proxy to be sick. In the case of Amber Brewington from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, she was caught injecting salt water into her four-month-old son's feeding tube while he was in the hospital. She claimed that she was only trying to speed up his death to end his suffering, but it was revealed that the medical problems that caused him to be in the hospital in the first place were caused by Amber. It's unknown what causes the syndrome, but many times it's a means of getting attention and sympathy from other people. Some of the key signs that a parent may be suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy are physical or laboratory findings that are highly unusual, discrepant with patients' presentation or history, or physically or clinically impossible, a parent who appears medically knowledgeable, fascinated with medical details and hospital gossip, appears to enjoy the hospital environment and expresses interest in the details of other patients' problems, a highly attentive parent who is reluctant to leave their child's side and who themselves seem to require constant attention. The signs and symptoms of a child's illness may lessen or simply vanish in the parent's absence. A parent who seems to have an insatiable need for adulation or who makes self-serving efforts for public acknowledgement of their abilities. 
a child who inexplicably deteriorates when discharge is planned, and a child that looks for cueing from a parent in order to feign illness when medical personnel are present. Lacey Spears was born on October 16, 1987 in Atwater, California. She was the youngest of three children born to Terry and Tina Spears. Terry was an aircraft mechanic at the Castle Air Force Base, and only a few weeks after Lacey was born, the family left to move to Decatur, Alabama. They moved into Tina's parents' house, and Terry began working as a welder. Both of Lacey's parents had lifelong health issues, Tina having type 1 diabetes, and Terry having celiac disease and Crohn's disease, as well as being slightly deaf. As a child, Lacey became overly attached to her dolls, pretending that they were her babies. Once, a friend was overplaying, and when she picked up one of Lacey's dolls, Lacey lunged at her and started strangling her. When the girl's mother picked her up, she saw bruising around her daughter's neck, and the friendship was quickly dissolved. Lacey was closer with her grandparents than she was to her own parents. Relatives said that she didn't get along with Terry and that Tina was a cold and emotionless parent. When Lacey's grandfather died when she was 10 years old, she was devastated. This was made worse by her grandmother moving to Clearwater, Florida to live with her other son, Uncle Bo, to Lacey. When Lacey was in middle school, she started staying over at a friend's house for long periods of time, telling her friend's mother that she had been molested by a family member and was afraid to go home. The mother reported the claim to the Alabama Department of Human Resources, but there's no record of an investigation. Lacey had also told neighbors that she was being molested and she would spend periods of time there as well. Lacey's older sister, Rebecca, would later say that she didn't know of any molestation that happened to Lacey. Of course, it's possible that Rebecca didn't know it was happening and any claim of sexual abuse should be taken seriously. But Rebecca doesn't believe it happened and in hindsight, based on the lengths that Lacey will go for attention, it seems that the claims of molestation may have been early examples of that behavior. It's also noted by many people who knew her when she was a teen that she was a compulsive liar. A woman from her church said that she would regularly make up a lie and if she didn't get the reaction she wanted, she would then add an even bigger lie. One time, she came into church wearing an ankle brace and claimed to have sustained an injury while cheerleading. When that story didn't seem to garner enough sympathy, she then started telling people that she was anorexic and that she had collapsed from lack of food. She then added that she hadn't eaten in three days. When someone pointed out that they had seen her eating a hot dog the day before, she admitted that that was true, but said that it was the only thing that she had eaten in those three days. The summer before Lacey entered high school, she began telling people that she was pregnant, but many people didn't believe her. When she claimed to have had an abortion at the Caraway Methodist Medical Center in Birmingham, someone pointed out that they didn't perform abortions there. From that point on, Lacey claimed the abortion happened in Florida. Lacey's constant need for approval from parental figures became very apparent in high school. Other students said that she became a teacher's pet, which got her attention from teachers, but made her slightly unpopular with the other students. The friends she did have said that she never dated, but she was very vocal about becoming a mother. When one of the other students became pregnant, Lacey brought in baby clothes and talked about what she would have her own baby wear. She eventually started doing volunteer work at the Parkview Baptist Church Nursery, where she started paying special attention to one boy named Charlie. 
Charlie's mother soon complained to the nursery that Lacey made her uncomfortable and she was no longer allowed to look after the young boy. After Lacey graduated from high school, she moved into a two-bedroom apartment that she shared with her sister, Rebecca. She got a job at Kids Club Daycare in Decatur, where she would care for up to five babies at a time. Rebecca said that she loved the job and would sometimes work from opening at 5.30 a.m. to closing at 6 p.m. Right out of high school, Lacey also briefly dated a young man named Blake Robinson. He was a deputy with the Morgan County Sheriff's Office, and they only went on three dates. It's not clear why the relationship didn't continue, but Blake would later explain that they never had sex because he was a strict Baptist. That information will become important later. Lacey enrolled at Calhoun College to study nursing, and there she met a single mother named Christy Burnham. Christy had a 10-month-old son, Cameron, and soon Lacey was giving Christy rides to school and volunteering to babysit Cameron. She would buy him clothes, diapers, and even a crib. People said that she became obsessed with Cameron and acted so much like his mother when they were out in public that one time, while Christy was out shopping with Cameron, someone asked if she was babysitting Lacey's son. Christy found herself having to explain to people that Cameron was her son. It turned out that Lacey was not only making it look like Cameron was her son, she was even blatantly telling people he was her son. Christy also noticed that every time Cameron would spend time with Lacey, he would develop an ear infection and need to go to the doctor. When Cameron was away from Lacey for an extended period of time, he wouldn't get an ear infection, but then he would go stay with Lacey and come home with one. In 2007, Lacey was supposed to watch Cameron for the weekend, but when Sunday rolled around, she never returned him. Christy finally tracked Lacey down on Monday and demanded she return her child. When Lacey showed up, Christy informed her that she was never allowed to see Cameron again. Lacey cried and begged her not to take Cameron away, but Christy was done with Lacey. It didn't take long for Lacey to find a new child to fill the void. Autumn Hunt had begun bringing her six-month-old son, Jonathan, to kids' club. The daycare closed at six, but her classes went until seven, so Lacey offered to watch Jonathan for the extra hour. Soon, Lacey was calling the boy John John, and she was buying him toys, diapers, and formula, never asking for money from Autumn. Autumn would eventually learn that Lacey was posting hundreds of pictures of herself with Jonathan to her MySpace page. Remember MySpace? Hi, Tom. And she was making it seem as if the boy was her son. It was also discovered that Lacey was taking Jonathan to various churches, pretending to be a single mother so she could receive charity supplies that were meant for needy mothers. Despite this discovery, Autumn allowed Lacey to continue watching Jonathan. Autumn also started noticing that Jonathan would always develop an ear infection after having been with Lacey. He would have to go to the doctor and, like Cameron, would be fine when he was at home with her or her grandmother who also frequently watched him. Once he went back into the care of Lacey, though, he'd get another ear infection. By now, Lacey had dropped out of college and was focusing all of her attention on other people's children. During this time, Shauna Lynch started bringing her two sons, Zach, who was older, and McKelly, who was only 18 months old, to kids' club where they were cared for by Lacey. Shauna and Lacey became friends, and soon Lacey said that she had grown attached to McKelly and would offer to watch him outside of the daycare. 
Shauna agreed, and in late 2007, Lacey would have both Jonathan and McKelly at her house for periods of time. Lacey told Shauna that John John was her son. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it wasn't long before McKelly began suffering from severe ear infections. The boy's grandmother said that they got so bad that pus would leak from his ears. Then Shauna met Autumn, and it became clear that Jonathan was actually her son. Lacey would later tell Shauna that Autumn was her stepsister and she treated Jonathan as her own child as well. This odd development didn't stop Shauna from becoming closer to Lacey. Soon, Lacey confided in Shauna that she was actively being sexually assaulted by a relative. She would call Shauna in the middle of the night, claiming her abuser just left, and then go over to her friend's house because she was scared. Then she claimed to be pregnant and said that it was her abuser's child. Shauna said it looked to her like she was pregnant. She had a baby bump and was gaining weight. Lacey began watching both McKelly and Zach so much that she had her own key to Shauna's house. Shauna's husband, Aaron, and his mother, Janine, saw a number of red flags with Lacey and convinced Shauna to reduce the amount of time she was spending with her. They believed it was putting a strain on the family, and Shauna agreed. When Shauna explained that she needed some distance for the sake of her family, Lacey exploded and began swearing and screaming at Shauna before storming out of the house. Not long after that incident, Lacey went to Clearwater, Florida to visit her grandmother and Uncle Bo. When she returned, her friend said she was no longer pregnant. Shauna would say in a later interview that she didn't know if she miscarried or if she was actually ever pregnant, but that she had definitely looked pregnant. I don't know if anyone ever asked her if she physically saw Lacey's pregnant belly or if she only saw it under clothes because it wouldn't be the first time someone had faked a pregnancy. After returning from Florida, Lacey started seeing a man who lived in her apartment complex named Chris Hill. He was a garage door installer and had seen her around the complex, but one day she went down to his apartment and asked for his help putting together a baby cradle. Chris said that when he was done, one thing led to another and they had sex. The two began dating and a few times a week, Lacey would go down to his apartment and they would have sex, then she would leave. He said that she never spent the night and she was rather cold and emotionless in bed. He also found it odd that she clearly loved children. He knew she watched other people's children all the time, but she had no interest in his five-year-old son when he would come to visit. It seemed that Lacey had found a surrogate to get her pregnant so she could finally have her own child instead of claiming that other people's children were hers. And it worked. In March of 2008, Lacey announced she was pregnant and at first she told Chris about the baby. Chris says that Lacey suggested they get married, but Rebecca says that Chris asked her to marry him. Either way, they began planning to get married and decided together that they would name the baby Caden. Then one day, Chris said that Lacey decided the baby was going to be named Garnet, which Chris didn't like, but she didn't care. A few days later, Lacey told Chris that he wasn't the baby's father and her ex-boyfriend Blake was. That was a blatant lie, but it couldn't even be possible since her and Blake had never reconnected after their three dates, and he said they never had sex. Lacey broke up with Chris and began completely ignoring him. He tried to talk to her, but she threatened to call the police and get a restraining order, so Chris had no option. He came to the realization that Lacey just used him to get pregnant, and despite her denying it, he was the baby's father. 
she would eventually admit that years later. Garnet Spears was born on December 3, 2008. He was born a healthy baby and there were no complications with the birth. He was sent home with Lacey on Friday, December 5th, but by Sunday, Lacey brought him into the emergency room. She told the doctor that Garnet had a fever, jaundice, and was pulling at his ears, which is usually an indicator that a baby may have an ear infection. The doctor examined the boy and found him to be perfectly healthy. After Christmas, Lacey began bringing Garnet to both Decatur General Hospital and Southern Rural Healthcare Clinic almost daily complaining that he wasn't eating, he was vomiting, and that he was bleeding from his ears. The doctor said they never saw him vomit and couldn't explain his other ailments. On January 13, 2009, Dr. Melissa Young-King wrote in Garnet's medical records that she suspected that Lacey had Munchausen syndrome by proxy. This would be the first mention of Lacey having the condition, but nobody followed up on it. On January 15th, Lacey was seen by an investigator from the Parental Assistance Agency to prevent child abuse because the previous day it was reported that she verbalized that she wanted to harm her child. The medical staff had reported the comment to Alabama Social Services. During the meeting, the investigator noted that Lacey didn't seem to pay attention to her son. The investigator returned for follow-ups numerous times, but Lacey was never home and the investigation just seemed to disappear. In late January, Lacey brought Garnet to Huntsville Hospital and told doctors that he was vomiting and not gaining weight. Doctors diagnosed Garnet with reflux and performed surgery to reduce his vomiting. This is one of the signs of someone who suffers from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. They go to different doctors and medical facilities without informing them that they had seen other doctors. The staff at Huntsville Hospital had no idea that the staff at Southern Rural Healthcare Clinic suspected that she was suffering from Munchausen. When Garnet was released from the hospital, Lacey took him to meet a friend for lunch and that friend reported seeing Lacey get mad at Garnet for, quote-unquote, acting out, and she hit him on the leg. The friend said it seemed like she did it for no reason. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On February 1st, a different friend witnessed Lacey screaming at Garnet in a Walmart parking lot and was so concerned she reported it to the Alabama Department of Human Resources. It's unknown if they responded. A few days after the Walmart incident, Lacey took Garnet to yet another doctor, this time a pediatric gastroenterologist who diagnosed the boy with failure to thrive and reflux. He recommended that Garnet undergo a Nissen fundiplication, which would tighten the opening at the bottom of the esophagus. It would not only prevent Garnet from having acid reflux, but it would also prevent him from ever being able to vomit. It was only a few days after the operation that Lacey brought Garnet to the Southern Rural Healthcare Clinic and complained that he wouldn't take a bottle. When the doctor tried to get him to eat, using the bottle that Lacey had brought with her, she was unsuccessful, so she sent the baby to Decatur General Hospital to have a nasal feeding tube inserted. 
It's important to note that Lacey was not just bringing her son to the hospital to get treatment. She was posting every aspect of Garnet's medical treatment to her Facebook page. Every time her poor baby was in the hospital, she would make sure to get a picture of him hooked up to machines or with tubes coming out of his body. This time, she posted a picture of her unconscious baby with a tube in his nose and captioned it, quote, he had to get a feeding tube. Every time she posted a picture, she basked in the attention she got from people wishing her child a quick recovery. On February 11th, Lacey was back at Decatur General, claiming that Garnet wouldn't take a bottle again. This time, a nurse was able to get him to drink from a bottle his mother had brought with her, but then he suddenly became lethargic. A blood test was done and it revealed that Garnet had near-lethal levels of sodium in his system. Garnet was airlifted to the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Children's of Alabama in Birmingham. There, he was given a spinal tap and doctors carefully lowered his sodium levels. The whole time, Lacey was posting gruesome photos of her baby near death on social media. When Garnet was out of the woods, so to speak, a gastrointestinal specialist was sent in to find out why the boy was having so much trouble eating, except she had no problem getting him to bottle feed. The doctor spent two days evaluating Garnet and she experienced no problems getting the baby to eat. The hospital ran a battery of tests to find out what was wrong with the baby, but all the tests came back normal. This is another sign of someone who suffers from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. They're happy to allow their child to be tested even if the test causes discomfort or even pain for the child. Lacey had no problem allowing her seemingly healthy child to undergo a multitude of tests and she happily posted about it on MySpace the whole time. Children's of Alabama also began suspecting that Lacey was suffering from Munchausen, so they quarantined the boy from her for four days. Over those four days, Garnet ate normally and remained perfectly healthy. When they asked Lacey how she fed the boy, she told them that she used one part breast milk and three parts Pedialyte, which is an electrolyte drink to prevent dehydration, like Gatorade for babies. She claimed that a doctor had recommended that, but the hospital knew that couldn't be true. No doctor would recommend what she was doing as it would cause malnutrition. Despite all of these red flags, Garnet was discharged into Lacey's care on February 24th. This was what an overly litigious society has created. Doctors and hospitals regularly sweep information like this under the rug because they're too afraid of getting sued. Despite seeing red flags that a parent is suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy, they're hesitant to make that claim for fear the parent will sue them. So, despite all the warning signs, they hand the child back to the parent who they know is a danger to the child. At the end of March, Lacey was back at the Southern Rural Healthcare Clinic, but she was being seen by a different doctor about Garnet's chronic ear infections. She was referred to an ear, nose, and throat specialist who found the amount of infections the boy had had to be very unusual. He operated on Garnet in an attempt to relieve some of the issue, but it didn't seem to have an effect. Of course, pictures of the baby with tubes coming out of his ears were posted to Lacey's new album on her MySpace page titled Garnet's Hospital Stays. Eventually, the ENT referred Garnet to another specialist, and when he sent over the medical records, he added a note that Lacey may be suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. 
This was the third mention of the syndrome by medical professionals in the six months since Garnet had been born. Almost every day, Lacey brought Garnet into Decatur General complaining that he'd vomited up everything she tried to feed him. The staff at the hospital didn't seem to know that the baby had had a procedure that made him incapable of vomiting, so they continued to be baffled and they alerted the Department of Human Services, but there are no records of an investigation. Then, on June 20th, Lacey brought her son into the hospital and he was bleeding from his ears, eyes, nose, and mouth. He was again airlifted to Children's of Alabama where he was treated. Lacey again posted photos of him lying in the hospital unconscious with tubes coming out of his body. The messages of sympathy poured in. As Lacey spent more time involved with Garnet's medical issues, she became less and less interested in Jonathan and eventually Autumn had to find a new babysitter. Not surprisingly, when Jonathan stopped seeing Lacey, his ear infections completely stopped. After a summer vacation in Clearwater to visit her grandmother and Uncle Bo, Lacey went to Decatur General and insisted that Garnet have a feeding tube surgically implanted. The staff refused, saying they didn't believe it was necessary. In turn, she went from hospital to hospital until she found a doctor at Children's of Alabama that agreed to the procedure. The doctor performed the operation on September 1st, and as soon as the baby was out of the operating room, Lacey posted a picture of him to MySpace with a caption that read, quote, Mommy, I feel bad. My belly hurts. Which is just an absolutely sickening thing to want to post on social media. What's worse is that she caused the child that pain, knowing full well he didn't need to endure it. It was for her own benefit, not for any medical benefit to the child. For the rest of Garnet's first year alive, Lacey would continue to take him to the doctor with frequent ear infections. By December, Lacey's social media consisted mainly of posts about Garnet's first birthday and then the Christmas holiday. But on January 3rd, 2010, she posted on Facebook that Garnet was now having seizures. In 2010, Lacey and her sister Rebecca began taking Garnet to churches to get donations. They would go to every church they could where Lacey would tell them that she had been molested by a family member and how Garnet had medical issues. Church members donated money to help her with bills and gave her toys and furniture. She once told a church official that she had just lost a child and showed him a forged death certificate. It's reported that she told church members that Garnet was born without muscles in his stomach, he had open-heart surgery, had cochlear implants, and that he had contracted MRSA, a serious staph infection. None of that was true. One church ended up asking her to leave due to her constant lying and stealing. In July of 2010, Lacey's Uncle Bo was transferred to hospice with terminal cancer and she volunteered to go to Clearwater to help care for her grandmother. She saw it as an opportunity to get away for a while. Kimberly Phillipson lived across the street from Lacey's grandmother and quickly became friends with Lacey. Garnet would come over to play with Kimberly's stepdaughters and she immediately noticed that he seemed to have no trouble eating. It seemed odd that he had a feeding tube. When Garnet's second birthday came around, the boy had no problem eating every piece of cake put in front of him. By now, though, Lacey was spending less time at the doctor or hospital and just posting online about how sick Garnet was. She was in a different state and she could post whatever she wanted about her son's health. 
She claimed he constantly refused to eat and he had ear infections and other medical symptoms. When Uncle Bo died, he left all of his money to his mother and Lacey had no problem spending it. She made improvements to the house and drove her grandmother's new car. She started joining every mother's group she could find where she told each group about her son's medical conditions. She breathed in the sympathy like it was the oxygen she needed to live. Some of these groups were where she became interested in holistic medicine. She began taking Garnet to a doctor of oriental medicine who had a degree in Chinese herbology. In the middle of April, she announced on social media that she was done with modern medicine. Most of 2010 consisted of Lacey getting attention by posting lies on social media and telling lies to the new friends she had made in Florida. She continued to claim that a family member was sexually assaulting her and she also told people that she had a brain tumor, celiac disease, and Crohn's disease. Another thing that happened in 2010 was that Lacey decided she wanted another baby. Oh good! One of her friends offered to let her sleep with her husband so she could get pregnant and Lacey accepted because that couldn't possibly backfire in any way. Well, surprise, surprise, it backfired when the friend got jealous. They tried to turn it into a threesome, but eventually the entire friendship fell apart. Shocking. Lacey also took her dislike of doctors up a notch and announced that she didn't believe in vaccinations. In January of 2011, Lacey posted about Garnet's ear infection. In March, she posted about his severe toothache. The day after that, she posted that he had a spinal disorder, claiming that Garnet's C1 disc was severely compressed. A few days later, the post was about an ear infection, and then a fever was the subject of her post a few days after that. This is what the next few years were like for Lacey Spears, a constant barrage of social media postings announcing all of her son's ailments. It was on March 31, 2012, that Lacey Spears killed Garnet's father. No, Chris was fine. This murder happened in the massive library of fiction that seemed to always be developing in Lacey's mind. Lacey liked to pretend that Garnet's father was a police officer named Blake. Sound familiar? Well, she realized that she could get more sympathy from people if she was not only the single mother to a chronically ill child, but also if that child's father was dead. On March 31st, she made a post on the Garnet's Journey Facebook page which didn't include her family who knew who Garnet's father really was. It read, quote, Nine months ago, Garnet's father and my lifelong best friend was tragically killed. Then she wrote, quote, Tonight while driving home, Garnet woke out of a deep sleep and simply said, Mommy, Daddy loves you. Get the fuck out of here. This load of utter bullshit tugged at everybody's heartstrings and Lacey was showered with comments telling her how strong and inspirational she was. From that point on, the Facebook page had constant posts about how Garnet was struggling without his father, when the truth was, Garnet's father was alive and well and she refused to ever let him see his son. As Garnet approached school age, Lacey started looking into the best school for him to go to. She learned about Waldorf schools, which are schools that integrate a holistic approach to education. Lacey found the Green Meadow Waldorf School in Chestnut Ridge, New York, and thought it would be a perfect fit for her son. It coincidentally also had a lot of things that would benefit her. The school was part of a type of commune called the Fellowship. 
They had a system where a person could work for the fellowship in return for room and board as well as a place for their child in the school. Lacey applied, filling the application with lies about Garnet's health and her own employment history and was accepted into the community. For the next few months while they prepared to move to New York, Lacey continued to post on Facebook about Garnet's health crises and her late fiancé, Blake. When Lacey arrived at the fellowship, she was suddenly wearing a diamond engagement ring and told everyone she met about how her beloved Blake had died in a car accident. People in the community listened to her talk about all of Garnet's health problems, but when they saw him, they noted that he seemed perfectly healthy. Two days after arriving, Lacey took Garnet to the on-site doctor, complaining that the boy had an ear infection. The doctor referred her to a pediatrician in the area, but she wouldn't actually make an appointment there for four months. Lacey moved into an apartment which she would share with a fellow member named Christine O'Brien. Christine had been out of town at the time, but when she returned, she said she noticed that some of her clothes and other personal items were missing from her bedroom. After seeing Lacey wearing her clothes and spotting some of her items in her bedroom, she confronted her about it, but Lacey just walked away without answering. Christine complained to the fellowship leaders, but they told her to just let it go. Not wanting to make waves, she did. One morning, Christine glanced into Lacey's room and saw her doing something with a tube in Garnet's stomach. When she later asked about it, Lacey told her about all of Garnet's health problems and how he had to be fed through a feeding tube because he had trouble eating. Christine would later say that she never saw Garnet have a problem eating. She did say that later that morning, she saw Garnet outside and he was lethargic and complained that his ears hurt. As time went on, Christine would see Lacey lose her temper with her son quite often. When she didn't think anyone was looking, she would yell at him and grab him hard or yank his arm. When he would start crying, she would immediately pick him up and start soothing him. It was like she needed to cause him pain so she could then comfort him. Then, Christine started hearing Lacey screaming at Garnet while she was giving him a bath at night. He would say, quote, Mommy, that doesn't feel good, and she would yell at him to shut up. Christine expressed her concern for Garnet's safety to the leadership, but they told her to not make trouble. She eventually left the fellowship because she couldn't keep living with Lacey. Una Younger also quickly became friends with Lacey and she would spend a lot of time with her and Garnet. She would later say that Garnet had no problem eating, including hamburgers and even spicy Chinese dishes. People in her Facebook group started noticing that Lacey would post about Garnet being sick and going to the hospital one day, then post pictures of him playing in the snow and sledding the next day. It seemed that Garnet was only sick when Lacey needed a boost of sympathy from people on social media. It wasn't until March 22, 2013 that Lacey would finally take Garnet to the pediatrician she was referred to four months earlier. When he asked her for Garnet's medical history, Lacey told the doctor that Garnet had aspirated at birth and had to be transferred to the intensive care unit. She said that by the time he was two months old, his weight had dropped to less than four pounds and he had to have abdominal surgery at nine weeks. She claimed that he developed seizures soon afterwards. She said he had to be placed on life support for six weeks and soon after had the feeding tube placed in his stomach. She also told him that Garnet had a history of increased sodium and MRSA, which caused frequent ear infections. After an examination, the doctor found Garnet to be perfectly healthy. 
he was referred to another ear, nose, and throat doctor for his chronic ear infections, and to a pediatric gastroenterologist to determine if the boy still needed a feeding tube. When she took Garnet to the gastroenterologist, she told him that her son had been diagnosed with celiac disease and Crohn's disease, which he never was. The doctor told her to schedule Garnet for a feeding evaluation to see how many nutrients he was getting overall compared to how many he was getting through the feeding tube, but she never did. The doctor would later say that he asked her multiple times to schedule the evaluation, but she just wouldn't. Now, as a parent, if my son had a tube sticking out of his stomach and there was the slightest chance that it could be removed, I'd be jumping at the chance. Lacey knew that the feeding tube was completely unnecessary and an evaluation would prove that. She didn't want the tube removed, though, because it was her means of control over Garnet. She could use that tube to put whatever she wanted into his system, keeping him sick and keeping herself showered in sympathy. She would later post on Facebook, quote, Worst feeling knowing your child is in pain and discomfort and not being able to take it away. Something we all know was just talk. Lacey Spears was not interested in taking away her son's discomfort. She was the one who was causing it. As Garnet grew, she would realize that she was losing control of him and would take more drastic measures to continue her charade. This episode became quite a bit bigger than I thought it was going to, so I'm splitting it in half and will post the exciting conclusion tomorrow. Don't worry, you don't have to wait until Monday. As you're watching this part, I'll be furiously working on the second half. See you tomorrow. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.